Good afternoon and welcome to Books in the Biz, another weekly episode of Fun and Games with my pal Rich Veltry. Rich, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? I am doing very good. Hey, uh, we're actually making traction for our nice little channel here. We actually had some commentary come back on LinkedIn yes, uh, and you had to give some some good feedback for that. So I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, it's uh, It's also opened up opportunity for some other discussions. So we're going to actually take some of their subject matter. And actually, that'll be one of the upcoming episodes here where we'll be talking a little bit about health care and health insurance. And uh, that's something, Rich, I know you're more than dangerous with. You've done a, a lot with in the healthcare industry. So it'll be interesting to get your insights on that. And and uh, how do we fix the problem with healthcare? I'm sure that's like a four-hour episode, but we'll we'll try to keep it to about twenty to thirty minutes, like the other ones are. Part but one, meanwhile, what's that? Part one, part two, part, part three. Part one, part two, part three, part twenty-five. There'll be lots of episodes of that one. Oh, um, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about our subject for today. So, what prompted all this, and, and what got me thinking about reaching out to you and and discussing this, because it is very much a financial issue. Um, I've also seen some other people comment online and, and give some other direction as, as far as why you might let your best people go. So the subject of today is you're fired. Why would you let your best employees go? And what really prompted this was a couple weeks ago, ESPN, the sports network that many of us watch at periodic times for either football or baseball or, or sometimes dodgeball if you're watching the Ocho. Uh, they let 20 of their on-air staff go. And, and these weren't just the secondary people. These were a lot of their top top talent. Now, you would think that, uh, and, and the reason for doing that is it was put as a cost-cutting measure by Disney. Now, I understand cost-cutting measures and understand sometimes you need to do things. Rich, you, of course, as the finance guy, understand the impact of cost-cutting measures. The part I struggle with, though, is if you have people that are coming to your channel specifically to watch certain on-air talent and that talent is no longer there. What the heck are you doing? And we were talking about this last week as we were wrapping up uh, after we wrapped up our last meeting and I had brought up Circuit City and you brought up some some key points with that, too. But my memory of Circuit City, because uh, I had I used to shop there back in the day. It was electronic store, similar to Best Buy. And yeah. uh, in many ways, uh, you know, thought they had sometimes better quality uh, equipment than, than Best Buy did at the time. And what interested me was they fired all their, their top salespeople. And their reason for doing that was, well, they're making too much money. We're paying them too much in commission. If we fire them, we keep that commission in-house and that leads to more profits on the bottom line. The problem is that pretty much tank Circuit City and was the, I won't say the beginning of the end, but it was the end of the end because I think you you brought up the beginning of the end. And what was your your feeling on Circuit City at the time? Um, you know, I think I think the writing was really on the wall with Circuit City because whatever was going on, whether it was you know price pressure outside, you know, because you know. You used to be the point where technology would come out and it'd be $5,000 when it starts, but then it would rapidly go down. So I think it becomes, you know, there's a little bit of a mis miscommunication or a, a misinterpretation of data, believe it or not. 
I mean, you're looking at it and saying these people are making too much money, but, you know, getting rid of them completely doesn't make a whole lot of sense because there's other factors that go into it. So in the, you know, in the initial kind of look at it, you're saying, yeah, you go after what your biggest cost is and try to see if you can shave something off, but go too drastically. And it's just like, you know, cutting with a knife, you, you eventually cut too deep and then there's no recovery. So I think that's, I think that's kind of the direction that Circuit City went in. Now, what do you think is going to happen with ESPN? As we said, they've, they've pretty much let all their talent go. I'm guessing at this point, I didn't watch ESPN a whole lot anyway, but I'm guessing if you were a regular fan, the people that are on there are probably names you don't recognize anymore, which I guess might give some opportunities to some new talent that's less expensive that you can then kind of build your reputation. But I would think it's kind of the same way. It's pretty pretty deep cut when you're letting everyone go that attracts the people in to watch your channel. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's the same thing what we're talking about, where you're you're cutting almost too deep because you don't actually understand what the connection is. So if you don't know that people are coming in to see those particular talent and you're managing the company by the numbers only, then you're you're disconnected and you're just it's, it's just the wrong move. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that some of these people didn't make too much money or that wasn't something that had to be discussed or renegotiated. But usually when I hear people in companies like that size or, or even on a, a larger scale company that's you know maybe not a publicly traded kind of national company, but you hear people talking about it and usually it's, well, what are we going to do when this person's contract comes up or what are we going to do when this happens? So the, the layoff is just, it's a, it's a bad stopgap measure. It's a, it's a knee jerk reaction that doesn't allow you to protect the brand, protect, you know, the reputation, the PR. I mean, you're just basically saying I'm getting rid of all these talents. But again, like you said, I would have watched ESPN to, to see certain people, you know, and to give me somebody brand new. I'm like, well, who's that? And now I got to go look that person up. And that doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean that I'm watching them anymore. Cause now I'm looking, who am I talking to? Like, who am I listening to? There might also be a different level of quality there. Let's face it. Not, not all broadcasters are the same. I mean, you and I are the exception. We are obviously very talented in what we do, which is why we're doing this. But as far as other people, you know, I can't really speak for, for what other on-air talents coming up in the world. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. If uh, maybe we step in at ESPN, are you good at, at uh, color commentary on football? You're in. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, I never good. played it, but I watched a whole lot of it. So <laughs> there you go. Well, you're the best armchair quarterback we got. So we'll, there you go. We'll I'm put in. you on. We'll get you off the field or on the field. Yeah. Um, now you've have you dealt with stuff like this where there's been financial crunches and I'm always interested to hear it from the finance side of things. I mean, I again, I look at it from the operations side and when I, you know, I first read this, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is this is insane. There's got to be other options." You renegotiate like you point out, you renegotiate contracts. Maybe you don't let all your talent go, maybe you let some mid-tier talent go, but you keep your top people that you know draws an audience. Um you do other things that might be more creative. Maybe you change, you know, the number of shows or, or the type of, of broadcasting or whatever it might be. Um, but it seems rather odd that, you know, there aren't other alternatives that, that people look at. And, you know, from my side, the struggle with, with finance, you did bring this up 
uh, just a few minutes ago is they look at the numbers. And the numbers, yes, are very important. And they are just one piece of the equation. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about what your experience has been on that. Yeah, I um, I have one really specific example. And I think that it kind of leads to my conclusion, uh, which I'll give everybody ahead of time. My conclusion really is that a lot of times it's disconnection. It's actually, you don't know what's going on. You see the numbers, you say, okay, and it's knee jerk. We do a quick fix and it feels great. And then two seconds later, you realize what you did and you have no way to, to reverse course. Mm. So um, I was dealing with a company that um, really provided trained people um, to do a very specific task. And the CEO at the time was in charge of turning around the financials and had a very specific plan to do something on an international scale. This wasn't a very big company. It was relatively small, probably under 50 people. Uh, overall, but they had some really good basis for some work in um, Latin American countries. So mm-hmm. they did a U.S. piece and they had a piece overseas. And what wound up happening was the CEO had understood that she had to put together a plan, okay, which is probably the rest of my conclusion that you should have a plan. <laughs> Plans are good. Plans Hope is not a strategy. So. Um, she had a plan to sell off 50% of one of those Latin American uh, operations because the Latin American country actually required it because of nationalization. They said, you have to, can't be all 100% U.S. owned. So mm-hmm. we had the plan to sell off a piece of that. We had a different model for the other Latin American country. And the U.S., we basically had a growth strategy for a brand new product. Problem mm-hmm. was okay. we had to make sure cash would work in those three pieces. Okay, so we put together a whole plan of how to allocate cash over the three pieces. Now, the CEO was not the owner. So the CEO put out this plan. Owner says, yes, absolutely. We love it. And there was a cash infusion from an outside investor for you know a small portion of the beginning of that cash. Mm. So the CEO laid out the whole plan. Owner said, totally fine. We got into the numbers and really started actually showing actual versus what the plan was. And he changed his mind. Just absolutely 100%. Why do we have all these high level management, high level, you know, people, you know, it's too expensive, but in order to bring in the investment money to do what we were talking about, we needed a good management team. So he changed his mind. He decided he was going to pull out, fired the CEO and, that was the first move. The second move was basically, <laughs> basically he removed everybody else in the quote unquote C-suite. Okay. So all management was gone and he was left with, okay, now what do we do? There was nobody there to tell him what to do. <laughs> there was no one there to help him. Okay. And the investor that had put in a significant amount of money to try to help get this plan started, saw no opportunity to get his money back and forced them into bankruptcy. Wow. So, um, Again, the way I interpret that, I know that was a long-winded story, but you know, knee-jerk reaction, no plan, had a plan, but then reneged on it, but then didn't have a new plan and fired the wrong people because there was no one there to put together a new, a new plan or new trajectory. And now they're battling it out in the courts. So, yeah. And that's never fun. 
No, that's never fun. No, the only people making money at this point are the lawyers. <laughs> yeah, no offense. No offense. And they lawyers. are doing quite well. <laughs> no offense, attorneys. No offense at all. <laughs> oh, I think they're agreeing with you at that point. They're probably wondering how they get in on that deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting how sometimes companies go about picking who who to keep and who to let go. Um, I mean, in the past. In my experience, because I've been through a couple merger acquisitions with some pr- rather large corporations where you are just but a little pawn on a very big chessboard. Yeah. And um, just their nature of how they picked certain people to keep and certain people not. And then all the angst and anxiety that's created once all that happens, because communication, which is our subject for next week, is really something that's lacking. And and especially in difficult times, I understand it's not always easy to share certain pieces of information because you never know how it's going to affect the people around you. But um, it it seems like the top doesn't always realize what the people in the middle or the bottom do, or they make assumptions, Uh, especially true in large corporations. And you've worked for some pretty big companies. You know that often companies are overstaffed. There, there's too many people. And when there's too many people, it's easy to say, well, we need to cut labor. And that's, of course, you know, some of what we see going on now. Mm-hmm. What methods have you used to really determine you know, who you keep, who you let go? What's been your experience in the past? The, um, the bigger the company, uh, the reliance on somebody in charge of a division or a department is mm-hmm. really important. Um, and having someone, potentially having someone that's kind of heading the HR side, you know, size of it, can kind of give you metrics. You know, what are you spending in each department? Why are you spending so much? Um, or maybe in some cases you say, maybe I'm not spending enough. So uh, I was at a company that was a little bit larger, about a, I think they were doing about a hundred million dollars, which was one of my biggest. I, I usually work with something that's a little smaller than that. Um, but they were around $100 million. Every month they went over headcount by department. Every month they had, a, they had a look at what are we spending for each person in those departments and where are we short or where do we think we might actually be a little high? Most cases we were not too high because we knew exactly what we were spending. We knew exactly what we needed. Um, and then we would rearrange where we needed to. Um, it just... It, it just becomes really understanding your numbers. That data is so relevant. You know, making a decision without looking that is a little scary. That it is. Now, on larger companies like that, I, I think there's a little bit more room for, yes. there's more wiggle room. So if yes. you happen to let one or two of the wrong people go, it's not always as serious because usually, again, in economies of scale, you've got more than enough people. I'm thinking probably about companies that we're more accustomed to working with, which is more like the 50 employees, the, you know, those size companies where it's a lot more close knit. And also put this this thought in your head. Now, let's say it's a, a family run company, a multi-generational family run company. And you obviously have different people with different levels of experience and now these are family members. Have you ever had to deal with anything like that? I'll let you share, and then I'll, I'll give my input on what I've seen. Um, I think I've been pretty lucky that the family, the family dynamic hasn't played too much of a role in the things that I've been involved with. Um, there have been a few that actually were, were 
very well organized and the next generation wanted to be in it and wasn't, you know, you didn't have one of your, you know, uh, one of your children who didn't, you know, want to be in the business or be involved somehow. So I didn't have any of those dynamics. Um, so I, I'll defer on that one just because I don't, I don't, <laughs> you I lucked out. I can't think of one. <laughs> what? I said, you lucked out. <laughs> I don't know if I lucked out, but I would definitely say I'm blessed a little bit because I've seen some other people who've run into that. Issue. Yeah, I've I've kind of dealt with the entire spectrum of of companies. So I've I've worked with some companies that are extremely well run, family, multi generational, is clearly spelled out the role that each person is going to start stepping into. There's a lot of education, training, and coaching goes on. They invest in that. Uh, they set expectations to to build experience. So it's not total nepotism where, okay, you're going to be the VP in the company and you're just graduated college and you have zero experience. I know some companies I had that actually forced their sons, daughters, whoever, to go work for somebody else in a similar field for no less than four years. So they could go you know, anywhere in the country, work for for a similar company. And the whole idea was to gain that knowledge, gain that experience. Um, then you go to the kind of middle of the road where, um, you know, fairly well-run company, they do invest in training and coaching for people, especially family members. Um, but then there's this little bit of, of the nepotism kicking in where it, there's almost the heir apparent. And it's, it's very clear that maybe that person's not ready yet. Maybe they've got some more more ground they need to cover yet there's this push to kind of get them ready sooner than they are. And I don't know about you, but it took me a long time to get experience where I was comfortable making certain decisions. Now that doesn't mean my arrogance didn't prevent me from trying to make those decisions before I was ready, but there's no replacement for just years of time working, trying to figure stuff out and, and learning what works, what doesn't and, and making those mistakes before you make something too costly. Um, so there's some of that going on. And then, of course, you have the companies where the owner contacts me. It's like, I want to be out in six months. And I've got so-and-so who says he wants to take over. We need to get him trained up. And, of course, that person has never had a hand in anything. Because typically what I see, especially in the smaller companies, the owner does everything. The owner's the CEO. He's the top salesperson. He's the marketing guy. He handles all the operational issues. He has other people actually do the work. But he's the driver. He's the delegator to make it make it happen. And I call those people the oracles because everybody goes to them to ask what needs to be done. And then, of course, they're frustrated because they have nobody on staff that can that can do the work. Um, so without getting too far off off topic here, because I want to bring it back down to why would you let your best people go? And, and sometimes when you actually do have to, uh, that's where you really have to kind of look and assess the talent that you have and do so more than on a monetary basis, more than just based on their salaries, uh, more than just based on their years of experience and really look at, again, how, how does this person, how does this talent matrix work well together? Because you need some experienced people to coach the non-experienced people into being more successful at their jobs. So that's kind of been my experience with it. Um, now, going to switch gears a little bit here because, like I said, originally when I, I looked up this idea, I was looking at all the reasons why you shouldn't let your top talent go. I actually had somebody comment on my post from yesterday with announcing this webinar or this uh, podcast, and 
they brought up some very good points when you might let your best talent go. I actually have some experience with that too. And the example that he brought in was he actually used himself. So he was very talented. He was a top producer of his company, but he was also extremely arrogant, very rigid, didn't follow through on things or, you know, I don't know the full story of it, but basically the reason he was let go is he wasn't a good team player. And have you ever worked in a situation where you have somebody who just has all the talent in the world, but just makes life a living hell for everybody else? Yeah, I've definitely run into that one. <laughs> and um, I guess it goes back to my kind of, if you're really connected to your company and you know that this person fit well, there's a balancing act of his worth to the company versus the detriment he has because he's destroying the culture or he's um, destroying the brand. You know, the, the things that aren't going to show on your balance sheet, they're not going to show on your P&L statement other than the P&L statement is going to look good because he's bringing in sales. The balance sheet doesn't reflect company culture or otherwise anything else that's value or uh, brand related, right? Mm -hmm. so, so there's nothing to see on paper to make a decision. You almost have to look and say, look, if I let him go, if I don't let him go, everybody else is going to go. Right. So then what? Now I've got Well, him. now it is measurable, right? Uh, now it's measurable. Everybody leaves. Everybody leaves. Now you have to replace and start over. Okay. Not a great plan right there if you know for a fact that this person is, you know, really the reason why it's going the wrong way, the, the way you don't want it to go. So, um, you know, I think there's always uh, an outside kind of evaluation that you have to do on not the numbers, you know, not the financial statements and look at how is everybody else doing. You have to keep in touch with that company. You have to keep in touch with your other personnel. Definitely. So um, now from your end, just a quick, because this is a financial situation, how long does it take to recoup the cost of replacing an employee? What's been your experience on that? Depends on the level. Depends on the level. Um, but I would also say, you know, even at the lowest level, you've probably got an easy... <clears throat> an easy 90 day, 90 day window, because, mm -hmm. you know, everybody ha comes in with their own baggage, it might be right. good baggage, might be bad baggage, but they come in with their own baggage, right, and how they like to do things. But if you want them to do your thing, you've got probably a 90 day window before they really understand, oh, I have to bend a little bit, I may have to bend a little bit, because that person might have great ideas and I've brought right. them in for that. Okay, but they have to bend a little bit too, because I already have ideas that I know work. So yours might be a little better, but mine are in place. So they bend a little, I bend a little, but there's a learning curve on both sides at 90 days. I think it's about 90 days. Yeah. And my experience to have somebody fully productive usually takes about a year. And depending, again, upon position, level of experience mm -hmm. and, you know, complexity of the company, it could take even longer than that. Yeah. Um, the numbers that I've seen have been anywhere from one and a half to two and a half times salary is the real world cost of what it takes to, when somebody leaves to hire, put in place, train up and, and get that person to a, a level of experience where they're actually considered productive. 
which to me, I mean, if you start doing the math on that for, so for some of you companies who say, well, I'll just let that person go hire a new one and just kind of keep the mill going. It's not that, well, one, it's not that easy anymore. Maybe a while ago you could do that, but there is a a significant cost to that constant training and retraining that goes on. Um, You know, my experience from the operations side was I was working at a rather large company. It was in manufacturing and we had this one person that could blow away production from everybody else. I mean, far and away, it was two to three times higher as far as throughput this one person could do. And you say, well, gosh, that's great. Why would you want to let that person go? And, and the problem is, and this is where it does become measurable on your end, is that person would take resources from other employees. So now the other employees also in manufacturing, also trying to accomplish the same goal, can't do their job because they don't have enough materials to do it because this other person was basically producing so far ahead and using up all all the tools that they couldn't do their job. So they're sitting around twiddling their thumbs. One person's producing, you know, off the park numbers and you watch overall production drop because again, you can't get the total throughput up because how, how resources have been tied up. Mm-hmm. And while it was painful to let that person go, it was still an example of where even if they have all the best production talent, they were, doing a far greater harm to the company and to the other employees. Cause of course everyone else is upset because they're not able to make their numbers. Um, it affects their production. Uh, it affects how the leadership sees them, you name it. Uh, so they recognize that and, and it, it's just not a good situation. So that there are times where you do have to let that top talent go. And back to your point, Rich, I think it's so critical that you look at all facets of, of an employee of what they do, of how they work, of, you know, what they produce. And I love what you said where you need to keep, you need to stay in the company because I know there's a lot of owners out there, especially owners that are probably looking at their horizon and, and wanting to get out where they're probably starting to think about what do they need to do to step back. And if you're going to do that, there's, there's a lot of things that you need to, you can't take for granted. You need to really step up and, and make changes on, um, you know, from the financial side, if there's a, if you were talking with an owner and that owner said, you know, in the next five years, I basically want to replace myself. I might still own the company, but I don't want to run everything. What's the first thing that you would tell them from the financial side that they need to start doing? Mentor. Who's your, who's your, what's your, what's your exit plan? Let's put together an exit plan or a, um, you know, retirement plan, you know, a slowdown plan. We can call it a lot of things, right? It, you can call it whatever you feel most comfortable <laughs> with, right? But, you know, what is your, what is your expectation? You know, look, that might not happen. Five years, it could be, that's a long time for things to change for you. You might say, you know what? I got a buyer, I'm going to sell it. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, the buyer is going to be more interested if you have somebody there that can really run it, especially if you're selling to a financial buyer and not an operational buyer. Okay, operational buyer wants to fold you in and be part of the next company and it grows a little bigger, blah, blah, blah. Financial is just looking to make money off the bottom line. So that's the big difference between the two. So you may change your mind. You could tell me tomorrow I'm going to be looking for an operational buyer. So this company has to work exactly perfect. And I want somebody to be able to run it for me, whether that's a 
a, um, a child or whether that's somebody that's been with the company for a long time, who you trust, who's underneath you, but you take that person under your wing and you mentor them. And at that point, that sets you up. Now, notice I didn't say anything about making any financial changes. Everything about that is, you know, really operational and how do you want it to run? And can you get somebody to take over and do what you do like you would want them to do it? Do you, in most cases, has your experience been often they have to hire more help or do they usually have the right people internally from what you've seen? From the ones that I've seen, the talent was there. Okay. Um, I have not seen too many times where, I mean, I've seen the ones where I've, where I've, you know, approached people and said, Hey, I see you're looking for somebody to help on this. Can I help you with that? <laughs> so, so I know there are people asking to bring people in to do certain jobs, whether it's for an interim basis or whether it's, you know, uh, fractional, et cetera. Um, but for the most part, there's been a lot of these companies, if they are a certain size and they have a significant amount of staff already, the talent should be within the pool. Um, I think I probably would caveat that, that the industries I'm in are definitely, you know, conducive to that. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, I haven't seen them really where they absolutely need to bring somebody in from outside. How about for a more of a venture capital or a financial side? Because you mentioned there are two differences. There's the operational sale. There's the financial sale. Um, I mean, in my experience, the financial sale, you know, like you said, they're looking to make money off the bottom line. They either want it turnkey or they want to pay a, a discounted price to essentially build their own management team and structures internally. What's been your experience with that? My experience as a financial buyer, you're going to see the opportunity, I think, for more of a let's bring in some outside talent, even if it's interim, because the new buyer on a financial side is going to want somebody that they've either already worked with or they already have somebody in mind that's going to drive it to, you know, because they don't look to hold the company forever. Right. They have a they have a window. Some will say a couple of years. Some will say no more than five. If they go seven, they're very upset because <laughs> they're off their plan. Yep. So, um, you know, I think the financial buyer is looking to put their own team in people that they control, people that they know will give them the information that they want and they can stay absentee. They don't want to operate the company. So right. they want the management team to operate it the way they would want to. So they can just take the hands off and go look for another deal. Right. How does that affect the sale price? Um, I honestly, I don't, I don't know if there is that much of a difference. There isn't. Okay. Yeah. I, don't I thought so. since you're bringing in your own team and since a lot of times you're putting in your own, your own processes and structure in place, I thought it might be actually a little bit less expensive. And that's kind of why I thought discounted more, at I, least what I've experienced is the VCs come in and they want to pay low dollar because they want that four to five time return over that five-year period well i think i think that in my mind anyway i have seen some deals where they're slightly different but again everything valuation wise is based off of your ebitda it's yep. based off your PL. so if the PL is consistently at a number the multiple is the only place where you have some, some fluctuation got it so but i think in in most cases that i've seen because the valuations off of the financial you know, it is what it is. And both sides are looking to buy low and maybe one's looking to sell faster. 
but the other one's looking to buy low and valuation high. Mm. One way or the other, they want it to go up because they'll use it to, you know, buy the next one. Right. Yep. So they're still so the goal is still the same. It's just maybe the timeline is different. Yeah. Got it. I also think there there is opportunity for bringing in outside help on an operations side company because what my experience has been is like I said, the owner does everything. And I mean everything. They have their nose in every little bit of business. They don't go on vacations because they'll tell me going on vacation and coming back is worse than if I never left at all. Because everything either gets put on hold or it's not done the way the owner wants. So to me, both from a financial and operational side, I see a lot of these guys that need somebody to come in and help them offload that responsibility and teach them how to teach their talent to be effective doing their job because we move from a situation where the talent is our, our order takers and doers to where they're actually a strategic part of the growth of the company. And, and once you make that transition, that's really where you start freeing up the owner to do whatever the owner wants to do based off his retirement plan, his step back plan, his, I don't want to do this anymore plan. Kind of like you said, it could be called anything, but it, it it's so hard for these guys to let, let go mainly because they're typically the ones who have started the company, which means they've been there since it was one machine or one truck. And now, you know, it's hundreds of people and multiple trucks and big factories and everything else. Um, it just seems like that there's some help that needs to be done there um, from financial education side, because ultimately there's got to be some sort of buyout if somebody else is taking it over. Uh, from the operations side, again, I see a lot of internal talent that just isn't empowered to be that talent. And of course, you want to mm -hmm. keep those people. Best way to keep those people is get them engaged. Best way to get them engaged is give them power in their in their position. So, I mean, that's what I see where where talent becomes absolutely critical, and where you know keeping that talent as long as you can is even more important. And the best mm -hmm. way to do that is. On my end, operationally, being effective at, at managing your people and, and getting them good at their jobs so you don't have to do their job for them. I agree. I agree. Is there anything else you would like to add about firing talent? <laughs> oh, I hate it. Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> There's times where it's never fun. There's times where it might be necessary. Yeah. Uh, have you ever dealt with kind of a, a rebuild situation where you did have to do pretty significant cuts and then figure out how to kind of add that talent back in Has, have you ever been part of something like that um the yeah the um i was somewhat on the aftermath of a shoe company that um they were they, the man management that the private equity firm owner management that they hired was improper mm. they really didn't know what they were doing um i'll give you an example why i say that um, i walked into the company the first time and i'm looking up on the wall and there's pictures of all these athletes okay and the athletes had all signed the pictures and and i'm looking at it and i'm going okay the shoe company was an orthopedic shoe company oh. okay people who have foot problems are not Playing sports. Correct. <laughs> okay. So if you're, if you're, you know, if your brand ambassadors were sports people, there was a disconnect. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Um, but there was a disconnect again with the numbers too. And those, those high level managers and actually took down a bunch of lower level people as well. Um, they had destroyed the supply chain. They couldn't get the shoes made. And so their sales dropped like significantly. So we had to go and rebuild that whole company. Um, and we were successful at it because we changed the strategy at the same time and just use it as an advantage to change the strategy. Um, but uh, it was a disaster that we had to spend a lot of time fixing. What was the end result? Did you get it all turned around? We did. It took four years. Wow. Overall, it took four years to get the whole thing straight. But the private equity company exited at a higher multiple than they would have if they hadn't changed the strategy. Um, and we had turned around the EBITDA, which had gotten to the point where it was negative, and we turned it into about $8 million. So, um, yeah, it was a very successful four years. Cool. Well, it's definitely a sign that people affect the bottom line, and there's a lot of intangibles that go into that. And I think both of us with the stories that we shared show that you have to be really wise about the people you have working for you. You have to keep your best people in, in position either to help grow the company, to grow themselves. Uh, and you really have to be in touch with those that aren't as productive because you want to make wise decisions when it, when or if there's that time where you need to make changes. So that I think pretty well covers this episode. We, we went through a lot of territory on this. Rich, thanks again. Um, so if you're watching this on YouTube, like, subscribe, Click the notification button. You know all the drill. Um, we will be doing this every week, and we will see you next Thursday. Uh, to find me, you will find me at danpaulsonletsgo.com. Rich, where will, the, where will they find you if they need to get a hold of you? R. Veltri at the Veltri Group. Sorry, R. Veltri at veltrigroup.com. Very good. All right, till next week. We'll see you then. All right, take care. Thanks, everybody.